What's up, Wizards fans and NBA nerds? My name is Bryce Haas, and you're listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, a podcast giving you game-by-game breakdowns of everything Wizards. Hey, Hoop Heads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of the Wizards Hoops Analyst. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, At the Buzzer, and Cavaliers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoop Heads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. The goal for the Wizards this season was to be competitive enough to make the playoffs. Um, I'm sure <laughs> that they expected to make the playoffs in a much easier way um, and then with a path that had a much straighter line than um, the way they did this year. But um, they met their goal. They're in the playoffs. Um, that's good for them. Um, I mean, like, and there are points in this season where I think at one point they're like, well, like 17 and 32, they weren't even like close to anything. Um, and they were kind of just trying to fight to get to the 10 seed. Um, and they eventually got to the 8 seed and they, they ended up making it in, um, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, like for a long time, I remember I, um, during all the pods, I'd read off the um, Raptor and Elo odds and for like a period of a few weeks they were both below 1% to make the playoffs so the fact that the Wizards fought back and eventually did make the playoffs is like really 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 awesome um, it's kind of a testament to what they've done this year even though like they've just had such a rocky path to get here um, to make the playoffs is a big deal for franchises um, especially for one like the Wizards that have been rebuilding for a couple of years um, you know it's it's really good for them um, to make the playoffs, um, you know, like at points in the season, I, I was advocating for them to like trade Beal and start tanking, try to get Cade Cunningham, fade for Cade. Um, but um, and like is making the eight seed worth keeping on to Beal? You know, we'll see. We'll see if Beal resigns. Um, but if Beal does resign, then like obviously like this will all be worth it. Like part of the idea of trying to compete this year and not trading Beal is that they think that he's going to resign um, after next season. But anyways, <laughs> enough of the big picture stuff. Um, the Wizards just absolutely demolished the Pacers, 142 to 115. Um, and the playing game between the eight and nine seed to make it into the playoffs. Um, now, Sunday at one o'clock, the Wizards will play the 76ers in the first game of their seven game series, um, which is going to be super, super interesting. I'm definitely going to do, I didn't do a preview part for this game. Um, I'm definitely going to do one for that series. Um, once I do a little bit of research, I want to go back and like watch the film, uh, watch a little bit of film um, on how the Sixers guarded um, Beal and how the 
um, how the Wizard Guard and Bead, but I do have some ideas um, for how the Sixers should guard Beal. Um, but anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, focusing back on this game, um, not super exciting. Um, the Wizards kind of had complete control over it for a very, very long time. Um, in the second quarter, with six and a half minutes left, the Wizards had an 86.7% chance to win. And then pretty much on from um, like halfway through the third, they had above a 99.5% chance to win per ESPN's win probability model. Um, so just to go through, um, the Pacers team stats, uh, coming into this game, the Pacers were pulling it up. Um, I get these from cleaning the glass. Um, so they're 17th in NBA in point differential with minus 0.4, um, 14th in offense with an offensive rating 112.5 and 14th in defense with a defense rating 112.9. Remember a lot of that is with different guys this season. Like they had Old Depot at the beginning of the year. They've had Karis LeVert through stretches of the season. Um, they've generally had, you know, a more healthy Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and they also have had Miles Turner throughout the year, which I will touch on, um, but um, just going over the um, overview and four-factor stuff for this game, um, the Pacers' offensive rating was 104.5, which is not bad. Um, and the Wizards' offensive rate... No, that's not right. That is bad. Um, I don't know. Cleaning the glass must have that percentage messed up because um, that's way below average. Um, Wizards' offensive rating was... Um, 127, which is in the 89th percentile. Um, their effective field goal percentage was ridiculous, so 66.3, which is in the 100th percentile. Pacers was at 49%. Um, turnover rate for the Pacers was 13.6. Wizards was 13.5. Um, offensive rebound rate for the Pacers was 21.7. For the Wizards was 20. Um, but those are pretty low. And the Wizards free throw rate was 21.7, and the Pacers was 18.2. Um, just going over some of the basic box score numbers um, for individual players in this game. Um so on the Wizards side, Bradley Beal only played 28 minutes. Um, he scored 25 points, was plus 18, 9 for 17 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, and 3 of 3 from the line. Um, so those 25 points coming on a pretty efficient 19 and a half shooting, no, 18 and a half shooting possessions. Um, Russell Westbrook had an awesome game tonight, um, plus 30 in 33 minutes. Um, he had 18 points, um, 6 of 13 from the field, 6 of 9 at the line, 15 assists, and 8 rebounds. Um, Rui Hachimura, 18 points, um, 6 of 8 from the field, 4 fourth in the line. He looked better tonight. Uh, Daniel Gafford had a pretty big game. He was six of eight from the field, three or four um, from the free throw line, thirteen rebounds, five blocks, um, fifteen points, and plus seventeen in the minutes he played. Um, Ishmith was also pretty solid. Um, continued to push the pace, do the things that Ishmith does well. Um, six assists, eight points on four or seven shooting. Um, and that's probably pretty much it for the significant was I guess like Bertans was two for six from three, three or seven from the field overall, um, and was plus nineteen when he was out there. Um, Let's see. Um, for the Pacers, the only guy that, you know, played okay was Malcolm Brogdon. He had 24 points, was minus 25, but 9 of 23 from the field, 4 9 from 3, and 2 2 from the free throw line. Um, he's kind of the only guy that could do anything. <laughs> um, uh, I guess DeMontis Bonus um, had 19 points on 17 shooting possessions and 10 assists and 11 rebounds, um, 5 turnovers, and then fouled out in the middle of the third quarter. Um, that's pretty much it for the, I guess, Keelan Martin, shout out to him. He had 13 points on 14 shots, um, shot eight threes. That might be a career high for Keelan Martin. And also it's pronounced Keelan. Why would it be pronounced? Like, I don't know how Marv Albert was pronouncing it. <laughs> saying something ridiculous. Um, Cassius Stanley had 11 points in eight minutes in garbage time. Um, good for him. Um, Jakar Sampson didn't play because of coach's decision. Um, I think that's kind of weird. Anyways, um, 
so yeah um i guess first of all first of all first of all first of all i will be so upset if marv albert is calling the wizards games like any of the any of the games that the wizards play against the 76ers he is so boring he messes up names so often like i can understand how someone could match up like chandler hudgerson and rui hachimura right um because they kind of look alike they have like a similar skin tone they have a similar haircut they have a little juice box kind of thing um but um messing up first of all messing up anthony gill and alex len that doesn't make any sense how how could you possibly do that um messing up o'shea Brissett and keelan martin like okay like i can kind of see that um but he did that uh, an exuberant amount like that's kind of ridiculous but the one thing that made me absolutely lose my mind was when he messed up amita brima and isak banga isak banga made a three isak banga hasn't scored in forever i was all excited and then it just completely got me just so upset when he said he said this is what he, he said Amita Brima with the three from UConn. Amita Brima is on the other team. How can you possibly mess it up? First of all, and Amita Brima looks nothing like like Amita Brima's a lot bigger, he's a lot more filled out than Isak Banga. They don't look alike. Amita Brima oh, first of all, shout out Amita Brima. Um he at one point was I don't know if he was ever on the Wizards actual roster. I think he was on the G League team, and I know that he was on the Summer League team at one point. Um so Amita Brima revenge game um three points in five minutes is plus eight <laughs> um but anyways he's like bonga like hey, they're on different teams and to announce his college afterwards that made me upset um but anyways um that's pretty much the only thing that made me upset besides like obviously like pretty much everything the pacers did scheme wise um but yeah so i guess let's talk about that first um the pacers scheme just made no sense to me um coming into this like i mentioned it on the last pod when i was ranting um i said that i think i don't remember what my exact um, wording was but i said that the paces are probably if they're smart they're going to have o'shea Brissett guard um russell westbrook the whole game um i thought that would have been a perfect matchup it would have made a ton of sense um and then put someone like malcolm brock or you can put justin holiday on bradley beal um justin holiday is probably the best individual perimeter defender on this team so you have justin holiday on beal makes perfect sense then you have o'shea Brissett on russell westbrook you have him back off a bunch you dare him to shoot he's a big body who can use his um strength on the in the interior when Ru- russell westbrook drives um also has some decent length he can get his hands up he's a good athlete like he can handle it it, it would be a perfect matchup right um and then like Nate Bjorken being coming from the Nick Nurse tree, I thought like, okay, Nate Bjorken, like he's gonna he's a smart guy, he's gonna be creative, he's gonna do something, he's gonna come with a game plan, he's probably watched a ton of film, he knows what other teams do. Um, I'm sure this is how Nick Nurse played against um Russell Westbrook when they played in the past. Like I know Nick Nurse is guarding him with like Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, like, okay, he's gonna do this, that's what they're gonna do, it's gonna be an interesting game. He did none of that. He did none of that. It made no sense. The book is out on how to guard Russell Westbrook in high leverage situations. Um, it's pretty simple. You just put a bigger, stronger guy who's long and is an athlete on him. Um, and then he, he and then you just back off like five to ten feet whenever he has the ball. When he's not on the ball, you just like help and blow up every single action, and then you do a pretty good job. Um, the formula, that's the formula with the Celtics. That was a formula last year, it was a formula the year before that. That's how you guard him because he can't shoot. Um they didn't do that. They had Brogdon most of the game. Um, they had Brogdon chasing over the top of screens. Um, they had Justin Holiday on him a lot. They had TJ McConnell spend a little bit of time. They had Edmund Sumner spend time. They had Aaron Holiday spend time on him. Aaron Holiday, when he was in the game, he a lot of times he was the primary defender in Russell Westbrook. Aaron Holiday's like, what, 6'6'1"? Six, six, um, probably like 180? Um, actually, no, ESPN has this. Okay, so Aaron Holiday is officially listed at 6'185". Um, I want to see. Russell, I know Russell Westbrook, is, I think he's 6'3", like 220 um 
Russ Westbrook, oh, he's only 200 pounds. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Russ Westbrook, 6'3", 200 pounds. Um, he seems a lot more built than 200 pounds. Um, but anyways, like that's a stupid matchup. That doesn't make any sense. Russell Westbrook's going to destroy him. Russell Westbrook is going to destroy Edmund Sumner. Russell Westbrook is going to destroy Justin Holiday. Why are these guys on him? Even like Malcolm Brogdon. Is Malcolm Brogdon really strong enough to um, guard Russell Westbrook 101? Can he move his feet well enough to guard Russell Westbrook 101? Maybe, but if you have him chasing over the top of screens, it just makes Russell Westbrook's life so much easier. And also, if you can't make a shot on offense because your offense is so bad and like there's not enough motion and just like a bunch of bonus like punch, um, then the Wizards are going to get out in transition. And especially like Westbrook is the Wizard that gets out in transition. He's going to absolutely destroy you. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Like credit all the credit in the world to Russell Westbrook, who basically like like you know like destroyed the Pacers. Um, like their scheme was stupid, but like credit to Westbrook for noticing it and saying, you know what, like if you guard me with Justin Holiday, like that dude doesn't, does not weigh as much as me. Um, I can just go to the rim and just kill that guy. Um, and he did, it created a ton of plays. Um, Russell Westbrook, three of four, um, from inside the restricted area. He also got to the line nine times, the six and nine, three throw line, two of five, um, from inside the paint, outside the restricted area. And then one of three from mid range and oh, one from three. Um, again, like, so the proportion is Nine shots inside the paint and four shots outside the paint. I'm fine with that. That's that's a really good proportion. And also, he was getting downhill and creating a ton for his teammates. Doing that in transition and then doing that, creating like pat, doing kickouts, doing drop down passes. Like if you chase over the top of the screen um, with someone like Brogdon, and then you have Sabonis sitting there waiting for what Russell Westbrook coming downhill um, in the like two on one kind of cat and mouse game of the drop coverage. Russell Westbrook's going to demolish you. He just is. Like, you need a better, like, drop coverage big against Russell Westbrook. So, Russell Westbrook does a ton of drop-down passes for layups for the big men. Um, Robin Lopez had a couple, like, dunks. Um, Daniel Gafford had a bunch of dunks. <laughs> a lot of them assisted from Westbrook. Like, Alex Lennon, a couple dunks. Like, it's just so stupid. And then Russell Westbrook, when he makes kickouts, like, he can, it's so easy for him. That made his life so easy. That's why he got 15 assists. That's why he got so many assists the last time the Wizards played the Pacers and the time before that and the time before that. Um... I think um, Fred Katz had the tweet mentioning that 15 assists for Westbrook was um, the lowest he's had against the Pacers all season. And that makes sense because if you play this drop coverage screen with DeMontis Sabonis and you chase over the top of screens against Westbrook, what on earth are you doing? Like, I, so I understand doing that in the regular season, right? And a condensed regular season, you're playing more games, you have more back-to-backs, like whatever. Like normally in a regular season, you're not going to deviate like a lot from your original like scheme and that is a pacer scheme like they chase over the top and they're going to force you into <laughs> what's usually miles turner um now a big criticism that i had of nate bjorkman is that miles turner goes down you know he's going to go down for like the rest of the season so adjust your scheme to um, to lend itself better to demontis a bonus um and demontis bonus is playing drop like you know that's that's not really going to work against russell westbrook especially in a situation like this um so i i guess like personally I mean, I would have, like, if, first of all, if I'm guarding Russell Westbrook with Malcolm Brogdon, I'm having Malcolm Brogdon go far under every screen. Um, that's my coverage. Um, but if, like, I don't know. I just don't understand. Like, you're just asking for trouble. Um, but, again, credit for Russell Westbrook to absolutely exploiting the crap out of it. Like, there's a reason that he was plus 30. He had a phenomenal game. Um, Big-time reason why the Wizards have gotten to this point. And, you know, he really, really helped them. Um, probably the biggest piece of the Wizards making it, um, into the eight seed, um, just based on this individual game. Like, obviously, Beal has been more valuable throughout the season. Um, kind of upsetting that like people think that Russell Westbrook is better than Bradley Beal. Like, he's not. Um, but he was awesome in this game. Um, Beal was also awesome in this game. Um, he did a great job of utilizing screens, attacking the coverages, like getting downhill against Sabonis, making the smart plays. Like, he had four assists. He was making some good passes out there. Um, but also just demolishing Sabonis. <laughs> um, like, Sabonis was 
god awful in this game um i guess i'll touch on that after i say some good things about beal um beal inside the paint was um what was he five for nine inside the paint four or six from above the break from three um nice to see his uh, shooting coming back um again like with that um hamstring injury like i can understand how that can affect your shot a little bit like in terms of the setup into it in terms of the pace coming into like the hopper um, the one to step into it, like all that kind of stuff. And then like the footwork coming out, like how fast you're coming out of um, flying off those screens, like all that kind of stuff. Like I understand how that can affect your shot a little bit. Um, four, seven from three is awesome. Um, four, six above the break is really good. But a lot of those were open looks like O'Shea Brissett, um, when he was on Beal, he was making a ton of mistakes, like helping from one pass away. Same thing for Justin Holiday. Like these dudes just weren't prepared. They just straight up were not. Um, like, why are you stunting one pass away when like, it's like, Ruby Hatchamore in the post, and you're stunting one pass away while you're going to grab the B.O., and you're just giving it an open look. Like, another play was, like, Ishmith was driving. I think it was O'Shea Brissett on both of these plays that made the mistake, but Ishmith is driving. O'Shea Brissett's on Bradley Beal. Why are you stunting from one pass away to the Ishmith drive when Malcolm Brogdon's in good position to contain him? Um, just giving Beal a wide open three. When Ishmith's not even, like, he's not normally going to drive to shoot anyways. He's more of driving to kick or to make a drop down. Um... It doesn't make any sense. You have to know your personnel better than that. Like, I get that O'Shea Brissett's a rookie. I get that he's, like, only, like, really, really been in the league for, like, a month and a half. But, like, you have to know your personnel better than that, first of all. And second of all, your coaching staff has to prepare you for that personnel better than that. The preparation from this game, like, for this game, for the Pacers, just didn't make any sense to me. Um, so, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, I actually think that, like, credit to Scott Bro- Like, I thought that Bjorken might have a coaching advantage just because I thought that he'd um, bring in some more creative stuff. But I think that Brooks outcoached him completely in this game. Um, I'm, I was really, really impressed with that. Um, but it's kind of just like the Wizards didn't really do much to deviate outside of their base stuff. Um, kind of just the base stuff happened to work, work against the Pacers who didn't really adjust um, far from their base stuff. Um, so it was kind of like an uninteresting, um, uninspiring um, kind of playoff level match um, from the two coaches in this game. Um, and I was expecting a Bjorkren to pull a, like a Nick Nurse light and do some like really, really interesting stuff. Like if you're going to guard Beal, um, and like Beal's like the, first of all, first of all, first of all, um, the Wizards shot a ton of shots inside the paint. They shot 20 shots inside the restricted area and they made 19 of them. That's absolutely insane. They shot 34 shots inside the paint outside the restricted area and made 17 of them. So they shot 54 shots inside the paint. Um, outside the paint, oh, I have to do some math, um, 35 plus four. So they shot 39 shots, um, outside the paint and 54 shots inside the paint. That's not a good proportion <laughs> if you're the defense. Like it doesn't make any sense that they were letting, like, how can you allow so much penetration, um, from just like your point of attack? If the wizards don't have particularly good shooters normally, like what most teams would do is have their closeouts come a little bit short against players like Rui Hachimura, against players like Russell Westbrook, against, you know, all these other guys that like can't really shoot the ball. Um, the Wizards were kind of swinging around like based off their um, first set on um, whether it was a pick and roll or whatever, like swing the ball around and attack a poor closeout. Um, even if he was staying with him, like they were still getting inside the paint with very, very little help and just shooting um, inside the paint over their original defender. Like the, there was not really much help. Even if there was help, um, the helping the helper was really, really bad. Like it was just completely off. The rotations were just really, really poor from the Pacers this whole entire game, um, which is kind of weird. Um, I just expected better from them. Like I'm disappointed. Um, like in like the way that the Celtics play them, they collapse a little bit more. Like why not collapse against the Wizards when they only have like three above average shooters on their team and like one of them didn't play. Um, like Garrison Matthews didn't play in the competitive portion of this game. Um, what are you doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? So like pretty much like anyone besides Beal 
or Westbrook you should be collapsing on on a drive, right? Like maybe like it's justifiable to have someone not really collapse off of Howell Neto, but like Rui was two for three from three, but he only shot three and he passed up open looks. Like, and then you have like Westbrook, who obviously can't shoot. You have like Chandler Hutchinson played 20 minutes in this game. Like you're not scared of him shooting. Um, I guess like Bertans is the other guy who you stay out on, right? And then you have like Lopez Gafford, Ish Smith, who you just collapse on. Like it doesn't make any sense. Within the Wizards nine in rotation, if there's only two guys that can shoot the ball, like, and then like one guy who's average, who's Neto, what what the heck are you doing? Not collapsing on these guys. And that's where, spoiler alert, that's where the Sixers are going to have a lot of success against the Wizards, especially with all the size and length that they have. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I just really, really confusing game plan from Nate Bjorken. Like I, I was excited. Like I thought I've still been, I've said this before and like both my other, or two, at least two of my other on um, Pacers podcast against the Wizards, but like, I've been waiting all year long for someone to break out a box and one against Bradley Beal, and it hasn't happened. I thought Nate Bjorker might be the guy um, because um, Nick Nurse obviously broke out of the box and won in the NBA Finals against Steph Curry. He broke it out against Kemba Walker last year. Um, this seems like the type of matchup to do it against, against the Wizards, like a team without a lot of shooting. Like, if you don't have Bertans out there, um, then break out a box and one um, and see what happens. Maybe even triangle and two. Um, guy kind of like semi-defending Westbrook as one of the two um, and then someone like just face guarding Bradley Beal and then having a try. Like I think stuff like that would be so interesting. I was expecting Bjorken to have like that kind of level of creativity in this matchup and he just didn't at all. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, but yeah, the, so one thing I will say, another thing I do want to talk about is DeMontis' bonus. Like Sabonis was so, so bad in this game. First of all, he had a triple-double, whatever. Um, he was terrible. Um, in terms of rim protection, he was awful. He was so bad. People are just walking to the rim, shooting over him, shooting around him. Just no contest. Even if his contests were there, they weren't good. He was fouling all over the place if he was in position at all. Um, he was avoiding his fourth foul or fifth foul or whatever like a, by just like not even playing defense. Like He was just god-awful in this game. And he is so much less important to this team's success than Miles Turner that it's like it's unreal. Um, I need to pull up the, I need to pull up the cleaning of the glass stats super, super quick. Okay, so I'm going to go through some clean the glass on off numbers. Um, with Miles Turner or with Demontis Sabonis on the court and Miles Turner off the court, the Pacers have a um, point differential of minus 0.4. Um, and then I want to do this with Miles Turner on the court um, and Demontis Sabonis off the court. Uh, <laughs> it's always in alphabetical order. I always mess it up. Okay, so Demontis Sabonis. Um, the Pacers have a point differential of plus 10.1 with Miles Turner on the court and Demontis Sabonis off the court. Um, with Miles Turner on the court and DeMontis Bonus off the court alongside um, Malcolm Brogdon being off the court because then that kind of filters out for um, Malcolm Brogdon being too too closely um, aligned with um, Miles Turner. So with DeMontis Bonus off the court and um, Miles Turner off the court, oh, minus 4.2 for Miles Turner. Um, and then let's look at DeMontis Bonus on the court and Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner off the court. Um, those lineups are plus 0.8. Okay, so... Like, Miles Turner is the defensive anchor of this team. Um, T is the one that is more important to the success of the Indiana Pacers um, than DeMontis Bonus. Like, <laughs> the Pacers' whole defensive scheme is predicated on going over, playing drop, and having Miles Turner be the guy that's dropping and just absolutely destroying everyone at the rim if they come to him. Um, and if you are forcing guys towards the rim and DeMontis Bonus is standing there... Um, it's going to go very, very poorly. Um, a lot of things, like, throughout the season, Bjorkman has experimented with, like, having DeMontis come to the level of the screen. I think that's part of the reason why, like, DeMontis Bonus doesn't really like him so much because he's, like, running around a ton. Um, but, like, DeMontis Bonus at the level of the screen is also bad. Like, he's, his lateral footwork just isn't very great. Like, 
it's just not like he doesn't have great lateral foot speed. Um, I don't understand why, like when the, so at like midway through the season, whatever, like the Pacers were like the four seed, right. And people thought that Indiana should have an all-star and it ended up being Sabonis. Like I, I really, really, really don't think that DeMontis Sabonis is more six. Like, I don't think he's better than Miles Turner, just straight up. I do not think DeMontis Sabonis is better than Miles Turner. I don't think DeMontis Sabonis, like, is I don't think DeMontis Sabonis is better than Malcolm Brogdon. Like, I don't see how you can have playoff success with that dude in the middle. He can't play power forward because he can't, he's incapable of shooting and he can't guard fours anyways. He, and then even if he is the four and he's the low man on the weak side, he doesn't provide any help at the basket anyways, which is what you need out of your four. Um, he can't move his feet on defense. If he gets switched onto a three and like a big, big pick and roll or something, like not even like a wing, wing pick and roll or something, then he's toast. Like he can't, he's, not a good defender at all and like on offense like the passing is great and all the post work is great and all but against size he struggles he really really struggled against cody zeller to be effective in the post he struggled tonight against alex len to be effective in the post like i don't get it with him i i do not get it at all like just because he points up puts up points per game i don't think that that makes him an all-star level player like to me he's he's the third best player on this pacers team i think that you can completely 100 make a go here an argument that i'd you'd rather have tj warren on your team than to much as a bonus um, and then I draw the line at Karis LeVert. Uh, Karis LeVert's just not efficient enough as a shot creator. Um, but like, I, I really, really, I truly do not understand If someone can like give me a nice explanation grounded in some very, very strong logic, um, as to why Devontae Simonis gets so much love and like people think he's like such an underrated player. I, I'm just so confused. I'm so confused by that. Um, and like this kind of the plan, like he was really, really bad in both games. I think he was even worse in this one. Um, it's it's just really confusing to me. Um, it just is. Um, oh, I want to pull up his rim protection numbers super quick too. So just looking at um, Demontis Bonus rim protection numbers. Um, opponents are shooting two point nine percent worse than expected um, when with shots with him around within six feet, um, which is not very good for a center. Like for example, like um, Carlin Towns, who's lamented for being a really really bad defensive center, um, is at minus two point six. Um, so just barely lower. Um, like guards, like Aaron Holiday is two minus two point four. Josh Richardson is minus two point five. Um, but he is one of the better guards at this. Um, players like Frank Jackson is minus three point oh. Um, Dazer Tons is minus three point four. Nicolo Melli is minus three point five. Tyler Hero minus three point eight. Like obviously, there's a little bit of variation in this, but um, like yeah, like Denny Avia minus four point four. That's actually pretty good. Um, but anyway, so I want to find so Miles Turner, um, is minus. 13.1, 13.1% difference um, than what you would expect when he's contesting shots to the rim. That's a ridiculously high number. Um, and then the other guy, first of all, first of all, wait, just for a second, Draymond Green is at minus 16.5. That's absolutely insane. Um, also, Gobert's at minus 14.5. That's also insane. Um, but Draymond Green, I didn't realize his number was that. I knew it was really high because um, I, I haven't checked it in a while, but like that's, that's an unbelievable, like that's higher than anyone that's the highest in the league um, out of anyone that has contested like a high number of shots at the rim. That's wow. Okay. That's right. Anyways, um, I got side. Also, Draymond Green, like his game last night was absolutely insane. He, he's such a ridiculously good defender. Um, who would I, I want to look up Goga, Goga Batadze. So Goga Batadze is at minus 10.7. That's also a really, really high number. Um, so yeah, like Demontis is a bonus, like compared to the guys on his team, it's not a very good rim protector. And like these, so I wanted to do it against the guys on his team because those guys are playing in the same scheme as him, um, defensively. So Demontis bonus is playing in the same scheme as these guys, and he's way lower than like 
credit obviously miles turner is one of the best rim protectors in the league but goga Patadze, like he's a good rim protector he's nothing insane or anything also robin lopez is at minus 11.5 robin lopez is an awesome rim protector anyway um i keep getting sidetracked here but like i don't understand the value that demontis bonus is supposed to provide your team um so yeah enough cutting on demontis bonus let's say good things about ish smith and daniel gafford um this was a really, really positive game for Daniel Gafford. He did, like, his improvement throughout the season has been good. Um, he did a much better job against DeMontis Bonus in the post, not going for any stupid pump fakes, trying to get lower, um, trying to utilize his length um, to contest everything, um, trying to box out more. Um, DeMontis Bonus did get some offensive rebounds against him, but that was within, like, within the realm of, like, him playing help, and then it was someone else's responsibility to pick up the bonus, so it wasn't really on him. Um, he did a great job of rim running, running protecting the rim, um, going up for every block. Um, sometimes it leaves him, you know, in the air after a pump fake, but, like, he did a great job of using his verticality. Um, he only picked up two fouls tonight, which is good in 22 minutes. Uh, might be a problem against the Sixers, but, you know, he did a better job of that this game. Um, running the rim, uh, running to the rim really hard, setting good screens, like, all that stuff was good. Um, really, really positive game from Daniel Gafford. Um, really positive game from Ish Smith, just pushing the pace, um, running pick and roll, using um, manipulation of his handle, using manipulation of his change of pace, like all that kind of stuff. Um, he did a great job tonight. Um, and he has been playing his best basketball of the season the last two weeks, um, which is super, super positive, obviously, because this is when it really, really matters. Um, I remember like early in the season, I was calling for Ish Smith to not be in the rotation anymore. Um, and he has really, really, really significantly like, picked up his play when since like like in the past month, um, which is really, really good, um, especially because Neto is starting now, like now he's a backup point guard, um, and he is doing a great job of filling that role and providing energy off the bench. Um, like him and Gafford, that duo is, at this point, it's like fun to watch. Um, also with Bertans, um, Bertans didn't play great tonight. I still, I'm, I'm begging Scott Brooks to use him more um, in a variety of actions to kind of get the defense thinking, get them concerned, um, get them moving. Um, but, you know, we'll kind of see um, how he handles that against the 76ers. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go through my notes super quick. That's going to do it for this episode. Um, yeah, <laughs> didn't have a super, super not, uh, much to talk about because that game was ugly. <laughs> but anyways, um, first note I wrote was Sabonis going one of the post, one-on-one in the post against Alex Lund is not great offense. If they're going to do that, they're going to need some more cutting. Um, never really happened. <laughs> um, I still don't get brogged down on Russ and going over, just dumb. Um, yep. <laughs> some other Wizards have left McDermott multiple times, dot, dot, dot. Um, yeah, um, that happened, but it, it didn't end up being that big of a deal because they were losing by so many points. Um, Pacers tags are really sloppy. That continued for the whole entire game. Um, Bretons cannot lock and trail. Not sure why Brooks keeps trying this. Yeah, Bretons is not good in lock and trail. Like, just because he's a shooter that gets locked and trail, that doesn't mean he can do it. Um, I've, I said that last time the Wizards played the Pacers, too. Um, Pacers defense is not good. Feels like they don't have a great grasp for the personnel. Overhelping and closing out on Ish, helping too far off Beal, leaving Bretons open. Um, I already talked about that, but yeah, wanted to reiterate it because that was kind of the story of the game to me. Um, Hutchison checks in, and the Pacers immediately get a score after McConnell um, does a spin move and dishes off against him. Yeah, I don't understand Hutchison minutes at all. Um, I wrote in the second quarter, Aaron Holiday and Russ, dot, dot, dot. Just stupid. This that's just dumb. Um, Lopez comes in this game is immediately awesome on both ends. Oh yeah. There's a sequence where Robin Lopez was getting like MVP chance. He was, you know, just cooking some bonus in the post. That was absolutely hilarious. Like getting blocks, like pinning, <laughs> pinning shots on the backboard. Like, um, yeah, Robin Lopez is awesome. Um, Pacers point of attack defense isn't stopping the Wizards at all in early offense. Yeah. The Wizards were just destroying the Pacers in early offense. Like this was another high possession game, I believe. Um, so the possession number is 111 for the Wizards and 110 for the Pacers. Um, that's like about 10 higher than league average for both sides. 
that's massive. Um, and I think that's mostly a product from how bad the Pacers defense was. Um, and said the Pacers long enough to put Brissett on Russ. They only did that for like two possessions. I think that might have just been because of cross matching, matching and transition and not an actual adjustment. I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. Um, Gafford is playing really well when he's in position. Um, the when in position part is the, still the caveat. Um, yeah, like he's he'll learn. He's only in his like what third year. Um, still pretty young. Only spent two years at Arkansas um, and like came in as a like supposed to be a pretty raw guy. Um, so. It'll be interesting to track his development over the years. Um, Sabonis is getting destroyed whenever the Wizards get downhill. Um, yeah, I think Mike Prade at one point putting out put out a poll where it was like, who's a better rim protector, Sabonis or a training pad? And like 90% of the people, including myself, voted training pad um, as a joke, but that was pretty funny. Um, Pacers defense has got awful. <laughs> I wrote that as my first note in the third quarter. Um, Brissett has made a ton of defensive mistakes. How about simplifying his role and having him just guard Russ? Talked about that a lot. Um, not sure why the... Um, Laser Pacers um, keep running weave when the Wizards are switching. Yeah, so the Wizards are switching one through four, which kind of blew up a lot of the Pacers' actions because um, they just couldn't get the defense. Like, they love to run this weave action. Um, and if the Wizards are switching it, it was kind of weird because the three guys at the top were kind of just standing in place watching them run this weave, and it, like, didn't really have any effect on anything, and they kept going to it over and over and over again. I didn't get that. Um, the defense isn't collapsing on these drives despite the Wizards' lack of shooting, just overall head-scratching. Yeah, just really, really, really weird game. And then Cassius Stanley came into the game with like eight minutes left to signify, you know, waving the white flag. The season's over. Um, this is done. So great win for the Wizards. Next game is Sunday at one o'clock. I don't have a podcast coming out that night or, or no, I'll have one coming out that day after the game. Um, so definitely check out that game and check out the next pod. Thank you for listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsWizardsPod. I'll see you next time.